Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone. The trade deadline has come and gone. A ton of moves were made on the trade deadline day and the days coming up to it. Not as many as we hoped for the Braves, but that's okay. We're going to sit down and we're going to break down the trade deadline for the Braves and the rest of the league, what it means for the Braves and their division, and what it means for the rest of the teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's always fun to analyze the trade deadline. It's almost like a holiday looking at the trade deadline. So let's get into it. So let's just rip the band-aid off. We were probably hoping as Braves fans that we were going to see more moves on the trade deadline for the Atlanta Braves. We probably thought we were going to see more splashy moves. We thought we might see the addition of a starting pitcher or maybe a left fielder or even more relief help like a high leverage reliever because Alex Anthopoulos definitely made it seem like that's what they were pursuing. It doesn't mean that the Braves weren't pursuing those things. It just didn't happen. But that's okay. There's reasons why, and we'll break it down and talk about that. But first, I want to talk about, since the Braves didn't make very many moves, and we've already covered most of them up to the deadline day, I'd like to look at the rest of the league, because why not? Because there are quite a few moves made in the National League East and across the league, rest of MLB, that will affect the Braves and their schedule and how it's going to help the Braves make it to the postseason, how the postseason could be easier or tougher based on the moves that other teams made. So let's get, let's jump into the moves that were made coming up to the trade deadline, and I'm just going to go ahead and list all of them so we can kind of get a good look at them and get an idea of what happened at the trade deadline in case you're not following super closely or in case you may have missed some. Probably the biggest one was the Astros acquiring Justin Verlander in cash from the Mets for top prospect. And I say top prospect, he was ranked around in the 40s or 50s, depending on what prospect you prospect list you're looking at. Outfielder Drew Gilbert and outfielder Ryan Clifford. These are both prospects. This was a crazy deal because the Mets are essentially paying two-thirds of Verlander's remaining contract to land these two prospects, which to me was pretty bizarre. I think the Astros made an excellent deal in doing this. There's always risk with the older pitchers, but the Astros got the Mets to eat a ton of that salary. And the Orioles acquired a low-risk, high-reward starting pitcher in Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals for infielder Cesar Prieto, left-hand pitcher Drew Rom, and right-hand pitcher Zach Showalter. These are three lottery ticket-type players 
as we know, Flaherty has been hurt and then has been underperforming. But we do know that he does have a high ceiling. We saw the way he pitched against the Braves in the National League Division Series a few years ago. He can be an elite pitcher when healthy. So this is a good move by the Orioles that didn't cost them a lot. The Blue Jays got shortstop Paul DeYoung and cash from the Cardinals for right-hand pitcher Matt Svonson. This was another one of those cheap moves where basically it was a lottery ticket for uh, the Cardinals, lottery ticket type prospect for a player that they didn't really need. And the Blue Jays got this shortstop because Bo Bichette hurt his knee. And so they want to add some shortstop depth for not without spending a lot. This is another big ticket trade is all-star Michael Lorenzen was required from the by the Phillies from the Tigers for infielder Ho Yu Lee. This is one of those things where Lorenzen was a rent is a rental type player because he'll be a free agent after the year, and the Phillies were able to upgrade their rotation without giving up a lot. This is one move that the Phillies made to make their roster better. We'll see. Lorenzen was an all-star, but he's kind of fallen off since then. Still a good move for the Phillies. The Padres acquired right-hand pitcher or relief pitcher Scott Barlow from the Royals for prospect Henry Williams. This is a move that didn't take place until a few minutes at the deadline. Up to that point, I was really shocked that Scott Barlow had not been traded yet. I was like, man, what are the Royals doing? You are not going to be competitive anytime soon. Why you still have Scott Barlow? At this point, trade him for anything. And they did. Uh, obviously, Henry Williams, based on this type of deal, is not going to be a game changer. But it, again, a lottery ticket type prospect. As you can see of trend here with rental players, especially players that are not big name players, most of the time teams are just trading for prospects that they hope turn out well. But it's more of like a low risk type possible high reward move on both ends it's kind of like buying a lottery ticket which is why i said lottery ticket prospect you don't pay a lot but you have a chance of winning big if they hit the marlins the marlins had a really good trade deadline in my opinion we'll break that down in a little bit but they did acquire josh bell who's having a down year for gene segura and khalil watson and uh this was an interesting move because Segura early in the year for the first month was on fire and then has fallen off a, a cliff. And then Josh Bell, you know, has had some years where he's been fantastic and then this year he's been well below average with his bat. I guess I should say well below average for his perform production normally. I mean, we've seen recently, as recently... As 2022, he had a 153 OPS plus from the Nationals and a 128 OPS plus on the year. And uh, that was that's not what we're getting this year from Josh Bell. He's he's six percent below league average in OPS plus. This is a change of scenery type deal for both players. The interesting thing though is that the Guardians right off the bat released Gene Segura. This was really just a way to get rid of Josh Bell's salary for the Guardians, it seems like, which is fine. The Marlins took advantage of it, and I do think that Josh Bell has a high ceiling, and the Marlins did need to make some moves in the in the area of offense. They've been struggling there.
They also needed to replace Garrett Cooper, who had a 96 OPS+. Plus. If you look at just batting average, you'll think that Garrett Cooper had a better year than Josh Bell, but they're almost exactly the same with their OPS plus total because Garrett Cooper never gets on base other than batting average. He never walks. But anyways, the Marlins did need to replace Garrett Cooper because they traded him in a move in which the Padres got Garrett Cooper and Sean Reynolds from the Marlins for left-hand pitcher Ryan Weathers. This is a low-key good move for the Marlins, in my opinion. Ryan Weathers has been a disappointment so far in his career. In 143 innings pitched, he has an ERA of 5.73. Not exactly what the Padres are hoping for when they drafted him 7th overall. But as you can see, being drafted 7th overall, there is something there that scouts saw when they drafted him. His peripherals are not good, but he's under team control through 2027. So if the Marlins can figure out a way to fix him and get him pitching like a seventh overall pick by only giving up Garrett Cooper when they're replacing Garrett Cooper with Josh Bell anyways, I think this is a sneaky good move that a lot of people will probably say is not good, but I think for the price that they paid, it was worth the gamble. While we're on the subject of the trades, I think probably the most under the radar or underappreciated trade that was made at the deadline is when the Marlins acquired third baseman Jake Berger from the White Sox for left-hand pitcher Jake Eater. Now, Eater was their fourth-ranked prospect for the Marlins, but Jake Berger, if you look at his overall line, is not fantastic. However, He's got 1.3 wins above replacement this year, which is you know way better than Gene Segura's, their, the, the Marlins third baseman's negative 0.8. So there's a huge improvement at the position, and the reason why is because Jake Berger absolutely crushes lefties. Now, as we know, you only see lefties about 30% of the time. However, when he sees a lefty, he's like Ozzie Albies. He crushes them. He has a 148 OPS plus against left-handed pitching. It is 48% better than league average. If you go, if the Marlins go up against a lefty, he will be crushing them. And he's under team control for a very long time. He's he will be under the Marlins' control through the year 2028. He only has 25 home runs this year. He's got one minor league option remaining if they want to send him down to work on some things. And even though his defense isn't great, he's got negative four defensive runs saved at third base. He can handle his own at first base and second base in limited amounts of work so far. So I really like the move. I, I think that a guy that has a 115 runs created plus overall, 15% better than league average, for basically your fourth best prospect that you can control this player through the 2028 season, it'd be like getting a Adam Duvall that can hit a little bit better for that long. That's what you're getting with Jake Berger for not giving up a whole lot because as we know the Marlins pitching is an area of depth. Since we were talking about the Marlins, Myers will continue down that train. They also acquired, you might have forgot about it already because it wasn't actually on trade deadline day, but they did get David Robertson from the Mets in an in-division trade, which was interesting, for infielder Marco Vargas and catcher Ronald Hernandez. This is another one of those areas where the Marlins were able to upgrade 
upgrade their bullpen for not much. So the Marlins made yet another solid move. So the Marlins have met, had a really good trade deadline. And we'll see. We'll analyze it a little bit more after we go over all the other trades. But it was a fun deadline for the Marlins. All right, back to the Padres who made quite a few moves. They acquired Rich Hill and first baseman G-Man G Choi from the Pirates for left-hand pitcher Jackson Wolf, outfielder Esuar Suero, and first baseman Alfonso Rivas. Diamondbacks got Tommy Pham for infielder Jeremy Rodriguez. I low-key wanted Tommy Pham to play left field. However, as people have pointed out, he probably would not have fit into the Braves' uh, chemistry, if you will. <laughs> so just looking at his numbers, Tommy Pham made sense. Tommy Pham's personality, maybe not so much for the Braves. The Yankees got a relief pitcher Keenan Middleton, which was a relief pitcher that I wanted to target for the Atlanta Braves. I thought he would have been a good fit, uh, low-cost, high-reward type player. The Yankees, interestingly enough, even though they have the best bullpen in the majors, upgraded the bullpen and left their offense alone, which made zero sense to me. But hey, whatever. And they got... Uh, they traded away Juan Corella. The Brewers got Andrew Chafin, who has been a journeyman up to this point. He's a relief pitcher that's been above average for years and just moves from team to team to team. Uh, and the Diamondbacks gave right-hand pitcher Peter Strzelecki. I'm not going to pretend like I can say that last name because I'll be honest with you. Other than looking at his numbers, I don't know how to pronounce it. The Rangers acquired Austin Hedges, which is a, I'm a fan of Austin Hedges, above average defensive catcher for most of his career, for just international bonus pool money for, from the Pirates for the Pirates, the Rangers traded for Hedges, giving up international bonus pool money. The Padres got Garrett Cooper. We already talked about this trade for Sean Reynolds from the Mar and Sean Reynolds from the Marlins for Ryan Weathers. We already talked about that one. The Braves got. Brad Hand from the Rockies. We'll talk about this in, in more in depth later for right-hand pitcher Alec Barger. So hold on to that thought. We will dig into that trade more later, probably after the break. The Mets got Phil Bickford and Adam Kolorek from the Dodgers for cash. That was just a sell-off. The Dodgers got Ryan Yarbrough from the Royals for first baseman Devin Mann and shortstop Derlin Figuera. The Red Sox got Luis Urias, you probably remember him from the Brewers, for right-hand pitcher Bradley Blaylock. The Phillies got Rodolfo Castro from the Pirates for left-hand pitcher Bailey Falter. The Angels got Dominic Leone from the Mets for Jeremiah Jackson. Yankees acquire Spencer Howard from the Rangers for cash. Another move that the Yankees wanted to bolster, their relief pitching even though they have relief pitching. Interesting. Rays got Braves legend Alex Jackson from the Brewers, who, remember, the Braves traded for Adam Duvall to the Marlins years ago. For right-hand pitcher Evan McKendry. White Sox got Luis Patino from the Rays for cash. The Mariners got Eduardo Bazardo from the Orioles for Logan Reinhardt. The Rockies got Justin Rule from the Dodgers for cash, another sell-off. The Rays got Adrian Sampson and Manuel Rodriguez from the Cubs for Josh Roberson, who's the relief pitcher. Royals got Tucker Davison, another Braves legend, from the Angels for cash, signaling the end of that trade that the Braves did for Iglesias. Diamondbacks acquire 
Another Braves legend, third baseman Jace Peterson from the A's for right-hand pitcher Chad Patrick. The Reds got Sam Mole from the A's from Joe for right-hand pitcher Joe Boyle. The Cubs got Jose Quace from the Royals for outfielder Nelson Velasquez. The Giants got A.J. Pollock and Mark Mathias from the Mariners for a player to be named later. The Cubs got Jameer Candelario for the, from the Nationals. Sneaky good move for shortstop Kevin Made and left-hand pitcher DJ Hers. I don't know if you haven't looked at Candelario. They, the Nationals got him on a $5 million contract, and he had one of the best seasons of his career. at 256 batting average, 16 home runs, 53 RBIs, and... And he ranks in the 93rd percentile and outs above average for third baseman. So he's been solid defensively, very good defensively, and well above average offensively. So good move, good move. The Mets, selling off yet again, traded the Brewers' Mark Canha from, for uh, right-hand pitcher Justin Jarvis. Uh, not Jarvis from the Marvel movies, obviously. And <laughs> a bit of dry humor there. But Mark Hanna was a, a solid pickup, I thought, for the Mets when they signed him. But now, you know, obviously they're in selling mode, so it makes sense to get rid of him. The Diamondbacks got Seawald, which was by far the best relief pitcher dealt at the deadline, who had multiple years of control. To me, this is one of the biggest moves that was made at the trade deadline. The Mariners got Josh Rojas and Dominic Canzone and Ryan Bliss from the Diamondbacks in the deal. Paul Seawald has probably been a guy you haven't heard of, but he's been one of the best relief pitchers in the league this year. He's got 21 saves already. That doesn't always mean everything, but you know that shows that he can be a closer in 43 innings pitched, and he's got an ERA plus that is 39% above league average, and he's been solid since 2021. He's had a 135 ERA plus in 2021, 139 ERA plus in 2022, and 139 ERA plus in 2023, and his metrics back it up. Very, very solid reliever, and on top of that, he is not a free agent until the 2025 season, so the Diamondbacks will not only have him this year, but they'll have him next year as well on a very cheap contract. He, the For example, this year, the Diamondbacks only have to pay the prorated amount of $4.1 million. Very solid move by the Diamondbacks. I really, really liked this move. As far as the type of prospects that came in return, Ken Zone was the Diamondbacks' number 19 prospect. And he's already made his MLB debut this year. He's hit 237 in 15 games, so a very small sample sign. But Bliss was the number 29 prospect, and he's doing pretty well. So... The Diamondbacks, you know, it, not all farm systems are ranked the same, but they did give them some prospects that have potential to do well in the majors. In fact, according to MLB.com, two of those prospects are already MLB ready. So it makes sense why the Mariners made that deal. All right, probably the most cut and dry or straightforward top prospect for pitcher or player that's doing really well with years of control the type of splashy moves you like to see is the Rays getting Aaron Savale uh, pretty much showing that the Guardians knew that they weren't going to do well this year they traded Aaron Savale 
who has already has 2.7 wins above replacement, who's been one of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball this year with a 2.34 ERA, and is not a free agent until 2026 under team control, only making $2.6 million this year, the exact type of move that the Rays would make. And as I've said in the past, if the Rays offer to make you a trade, do not make that trade. The Guardians did not listen. That is a solid move by the Rays, which is really going to help them not only make the postseason, but help in the postseason. That's not to say that the Guardians did not get a solid prospect in return in First baseman Kyle Manzardo, who is, depending on which ranking you're looking at, is in most prospect rankings, is a top 40 prospect in Major League Baseball. So this is like your prototypical classroom-type move that you would show someone how trades work. You take a controllable player that's cheap financially and is really good on the field that can help a team now, and you trade a top prospect in Major League Baseball for them. This is your prototypical trade that you see that's your quote-unquote splashy trade of trade deadlines, and I loved it. The Rays and the Guardians both made a good move that helped both of their teams, one for now and one for the future. The Angels pushed the chips in to help Otani rather than trade Otani. On July 30th, where they got first baseman C.J. Crone and outfielder Randall Gritchick from the Rockies, both of which are rental players, but nonetheless, they will help the Angels this year. We know that they are already going to do this by when they acquired Lucas Giolito. We knew that they were going to be helping the uh, Otani have a final year if this is his final year to make a push for the playoffs and so you got to commend them if if you are a fan although as a GM I probably would not have made these types of moves I would have you know logically it makes sense just from the number standpoint and for the future standpoint to actually trade Otani when you have the most valuable rental piece in history but hey is I can understand why they didn't do it it would kill the fans morale and people will be talking about it for years. But anyways, they gave up. The Angels gave up Jake Madden and Mason Albright for them. The Braves acquired Nicky Lopez. Technically, this was a trade deadline deal for from the Royals for left-hand pitcher Taylor Hearn. We already talked about acquiring Taylor Hearn. And then the Braves got him for cash, essentially, and then flipped him for Nicky Lopez. So this was a huge win for the Braves. We'll talk about this trade after the break and talk about Nicky Lopez and why it made sense for the Braves to acquire him. The Rangers acquired Jordan Montgomery, Chris Stratton from the Cardinals for shortstop Thomas Sagasse, right-hand pitcher Takoa Roby, and left-hand pitcher John King. This was a great move by the Rangers. Uh, you know, these were rental players. I've talked about Chris Stratton and Jordan Montgomery in some of the articles I've written and why it made sense for the Braves to go after these players. So, of course, it only makes sense that I am a fan of the Rangers acquiring these players. The Blue Jays acquired Jordan Hicks, another guy that I wanted to see the Braves go after, from the Cardinals for right-hand pitcher Sim Reverse and Adam Klopfenstein. That was a solid move, solid move by the Blue Jays. Jordan Hicks has very good potential, even though he is a rental player. And another big-name swap here is, as you probably know, the Rangers acquired Max Scherzer from the Mets for Luis Angel Acuna, the younger brother of Ronald Acuna. Luis Angel is a top 50 prospect in most rankings, and the Mets are paying down half of Max Scherzer's salary. This was a huge win for the Rangers, in my opinion. The Mets, I... 
understand what they're doing, but that's a lot of dead money along with the Justin Verlander dead money now that it just, I don't get it for the Mets. I personally, I understand that there's going to be luxury tax involved and all that, but man, that's a lot of dead money to get half a year of Max Scherzer and half a year of Justin Verlander. The Astros, in a sneaky good move, added Kendall Graveman from the White Sox for catcher Corey Lee. The Dodgers got Lance Lynn, who has been the worst starting pitcher in Major League Baseball this year, by the way, and relief pitcher Joe Kelly from the White Sox for right-hand pitcher Nick Nostrini, right-hand pitcher Jordan Leisure, and outfielder Trace Thompson. Trace Thompson is Major League player that has been playing for the Dodgers, obviously below average, and the other two are prospects. This was more so was just for literally for Lance Lynn to eat innings until the Dodgers' other starters got healthy. That's literally what this trade was for. The Brewers on July 27th got Carlos Santana from the Pirates for shortstop Johnny Severino. And as we already said, the Angels got Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez from the White Sox for left-hand pitcher Kai Bush and catcher Edgar Cuero. Even earlier, which is technically a trade deadline deal, is we probably know this by now, but the Dodgers got shortstop Ahmed Rosario from the Guardians for Noah Syndergaard and Cash. Shows how desperate the Dodgers were for a shortstop, sending away Noah Syndergaard and then replacing him with Lance Lynn. It's not to say Syndergaard was having a fantastic year, but he was having a better year than Lance Lynn. And then let's not forget about probably one of the earlier trades in the deadline is that the Marlins again added another relief pitcher in Jorge Lopez from the Twins for Dylan Floro. The Mariners acquired Trent Thornton from the Blue Jays for shortstop Mason McCoy. The Red Sox got Loviera from the Giants for Marquise Johnson. The Dodgers got Kiki Hernandez from the Red Sox for Nick Robertson and Justin Hagenman. And all the other deals were well below or well before the trade deadline, so we won't talk about them in their minor anyways. So let's take a break, and then we'll jump into what the Braves did and why it makes sense. So I want to talk to you guys about something. Magic Mind. I'll be honest with you. I don't typically like green drinks, if you will, but I was starting to get to the point to where I needed to try something new. I was drinking way too much coffee, I couldn't stay focused, and I was constantly crashing from taking so much caffeine. So you know what? I decided to try it. I typically don't like green drinks. I don't like the taste, the flavor, the consistency, but Magic Mind was different. You know, it's the type of drink I could take as a, it's a little shot you can take at any time. And I started taking it with me at work, and it made my life way better. I was able to focus better. I was able to cut back on my coffee intake. I have a desk job, and I was drinking way too much coffee. It's really helped me to focus. And also, it's allowed me to focus more on doing my research for these podcasts. It takes a lot of time and effort to do the research and focus to think of points to get your point across. And Magic Mind has really helped me with that. And the great thing is that it's got all natural ingredients. That's my favorite part about it. I I personally am trying to get more natural with everything I eat and drink. And this has been awesome. It's got all different types of natural. Matcha, lion's mane mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms. And guess what? I don't even like mushrooms. But I like this drink. It's crazy. That's awesome. I highly recommend going to the Magic Mind website 
and you can get a limited 56% off your first subscription and then 20% off a one-time purchase with this unique Braves dugout code. Go to www.magicmind.com slash Braves and enter the code BRAVES20 for your limited 56% off subscription within the next 10 days. You guys can thank me later. Okay, so let's talk about the Braves deadline specifically. Basically, the Braves upgraded the bench bat with Nicky Lopez and added Brad Hand for the bullpen. So let's talk about why people are upset. People wanted a splashy move. And the way I kind of explain this is, have you ever had it where your parents said, hey, I'll get you this really nice birthday present, but if I get you this really nice birthday present, I won't be able to get you a really nice Christmas present. And you say, oh, yeah, 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 because you really want this really nice toy or really nice gift for your birthday that's cost double what your parents budget normally is and they can't get you a very nice Christmas present but your cousins come over for Christmas and you get to sit there and watch all of them open their Christmas presents when all you get is your stocking well that's basically what happened the Brace did all of their trading and most of their trading anyways and most of their spending in the off season and because that's when it was most needed or most likely to get the player that they needed in Sean Murphy and players like that. In the trade deadline, the Braves, remember, are already at the luxury tax threshold, so any dollar they would have added, they would have been taxed on. And if they would have continued to be over the luxury tax threshold, they would have started to lose draft picks. And as we know, that is not the way that the Braves operate. They do not, they try not to lose draft picks because that's how they continue to bolster their weak farm system that they have right now we know that their whole thing is player development and so that would really really hamper their future i know that people thought well we can add a fifth starter it makes sense to add a fifth starter because the fifth starter for the braves is weak well here's the thing the braves this year are 12 games above their second place team in their division it's a virtual lock that they're going to win their division right well in the playoffs you don't have a fifth starter typically in the playoffs you run a three or four man rotation so adding a fifth starter really doesn't make sense because there's no reason to spend prospect capital or money on a fifth starter when you're not going to use them in the postseason anyways they're most likely not going to make the postseason roster that's why it made sense to have a guy like Yanni Chirinos. Sure, he's not a great picture, pitcher, even though he had, did have 0.4 wins above replacement already for the Braves uh, and only two starts. But even if he didn't, that's fine. The Braves can afford to lose a game here or there, and they're willing to gamble on that fifth starter because they don't need to win every game now. And so they wanted to save that money uh, for next year and not get taxed on it this year. There really was no reason to add a fifth starter. There wasn't. They already have one in Yanni Chirinos or some other guy from AAA they can bring up that they've already burned an option year on. They can still do that too. As far as a high leverage reliever, I get that because Iglesias has not been the Iglesias of old, but we know that 
The Atlanta Braves have a ton of players coming back. A.J. Minter just came back, who has been one of the best relievers in Major League Baseball since the first month of the year. So, not May, but from June on, he's been one of the best relief pitchers in the in the entire Major League Baseball. Joe Jimenez has been excellent. Iglesias has been great. The Braves are top five in Major League Baseball and earn run average for a reason. We know earn run average is not the end-all be-all stat, but the Braves bullpen has been excellent at preventing runs. Top five in Major League Baseball, top the top team in the National League. And that all the while is why they've been missing A.J. Minter for while he was on the I.O., missing Jesse Chavez, Nick Anderson, Dylan Lee. All of those guys have been missing, and the Braves has still been afloat. Yes, it would have been nice to get someone like David Bednar. It obviously would have. But if you look at the market of players that were traded, there was arguably only one relief pitcher on that got traded that made sense for the Braves to add, and that was Seawald of the Mariners. Other than that, the rest of the arms were just depth arms or arms that were about the same as good as what is already on the Braves, there was not really many that would have made the Braves really better other than pure depth. And if depth is what they were going for, they're getting relief in the depth department with AJ Minter and the other guys coming back. So it truly would have just been a depth move to add the relief pitching rather than an upgrade other than basically just Seawald. That was it. Now, it would have been cool to add, you know, a splashy move like Savale. That would have been awesome. Uh, would not have complained about that. I would have loved to see him in a Braves uniform. You know, there were other players that got traded. And, you know, Justin Verlander, there was rumors of him coming to the Braves. The Braves were talking with him. They were most likely talking about the financials of it all. Because the Braves, like I said, are already at the luxury tax threshold. And the Braves could have got Justin Verlander probably, except that the Mets probably did not want to trade him to a division rival. But theoretically on paper, they could have because of how much Verlander's contract was paid down. The Braves probably could have afforded it, especially with guys like Charlie Morton might retire, who knows. And then Max Fried a year from now might walk away in free agency. But... You know, Verlander is getting old. And that vesting option in that third year, in his 42-year-old season, would have still been pretty expensive for a 42-year-old pitcher. So, yeah, it's it, it would have been cool to see more flashy moves, but it didn't make sense. Now let's talk about Nicky Lopez. One of the reasons they added him was, one, they essentially got him for free. It's kind of hilarious that the Braves picked up Taylor Hearn for just minimal money, no prospects or anything. And then a few days later, traded him for Nicky Lopez when the Royals could have got Taylor Hearn anyways the same way the Braves did because they had a higher waiver priority than the Braves did. So the Braves literally got Nicky Lopez for just what it cost to pay the league minimum that Taylor Hearn got, the prorated amount of what he got. And that was it. And yeah, Nicky Lopez isn't anything flashy with the bat, but he is literally one of the best defenders in Major League Baseball. And he can play multiple positions. Since his time in the league, not a single player other than a catcher has more outs above average than Nicky Lopez. Not a single one in his time on the field. He leads all players in outs above average 
since he's been a starter, or since he's made it to the majors, I guess I should say. So, for what just for what it's worth, he's a great defender. Let me put it in perspective. In only 190 play appearances this year, when his runs created plus, which with the bat, is 27% below league average, he still has a 0.6 wins above replacement, just purely on defense alone. He's hurting his team offensively, yet still has a positive wins above replacement just because of his defense. And remember, wins above replacement is a cumulative, right? Well, he's only been on the field for 190 plate appearances or 68 games total. So he's barely been on the field, yet he has 0.6 wins above replacement. That's insane to me. In only 189.2 innings at third base, he already has five defensive runs saved. And in only 15 innings in the outfield, he has two defensive runs saved. Well, in the outfield, I should say left field is where he played. He can also play shortstop. He has 34 innings at shortstop. Uh, he has zero defensive runs saved, so he's about league average at shortstop in his short time there. He also has 204 innings at second base where he has one defensive run saved there, and he has 10 innings at first base. So he can play all over the field and has positive league average or positive defensive metrics at all of them that he plays. So he can play first, second, shortstop, or third, and he can play left field. And the only one that he's not well above average in terms of defensive runs saved per inning played is shortstop because he's league average. The rest of them, I mean, you look at that rate right there, just one or two defensive runs saved in only 15 innings in left field, that's insane. If you did that, extrapolated that over an entire season, I mean, you're looking at almost records. Of course, it's a very, very small sample size, so it probably wouldn't happen. But it just shows the type of defender that he is. Okay, so purely the reason the Braves got him was for his glove. It's going to work out great as the season continues to go on. They can plug him in to play defense and not worry about a defensive drop-off and let other guys take a day off or so. You know, it will be good near the end of the year. I don't think that the Braves should be resting guys for like an entire week, but they could give guys off a day here, a day there, across the rest of the season because they don't have to win every game now. Their likelihood of winning their division is 99.6% chance of winning their division. Right, so they can afford to give guys a day off here and there as long as they, you know, can stay hot when it comes time for the postseason. As far as Brad Hand goes, you look at him, the Braves didn't give up much for him, of course, because you can look at that minor leaguer and realize that the player they gave is probably not even ever going to make it to the major leagues. So essentially, the Braves got Brad Hand for free while the Rockies took a lottery ticket. Okay, good move. And it was a depth move for the Braves. But also, one thing I want to point out is that Brad Hand, if you look at his numbers, which are not fantastic, right? His ERA is 4.54. Batters have a 241 expected batting average against him. Expected slugging of 393. Uh, expected weighted on base average of 327. Nothing about this screams anything fantastic. If you look at his overall numbers, his ERA plus is a 111, which means it's 11% better than league average. 
and his FIP shows that he's been a little bit unlucky. It's a 4.03, so if he had a better defense behind him, his ERA would be lower. But his walks plus hits per inning pitch is 1.430. Ideally, you want to see something below a 1.2. He gives up 8.8 .8 hits per 9 innings, and he gives up 1 home run per 9 innings. And he walks 4 batters per 9 innings to 10.3 strikeouts. So nothing about this screams awesome. He's having a down year by his standards. I mean, back in his prime, he was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. He made the All-Star team three times for a reason. Remember, pitchers don't get voted on by players. It's not a popularity contest with them. So he has high upside, but here's the thing. I, even if you go away from cores, you know, think about the cores effect, his ERA only drops to 4.15. So, yeah, he's been better away from cores, but every pitcher would be. But the one thing that does stick out, and i got to give credit to my boy Trent for pointing this out, is that he is elite against left-handed hitters. That is why the Braves got him. Not to pitch him in, like, Okay, we're going to pitch him in the seventh inning every time. No, he is a role player. And role players are what you need once you make the postseason. Once you make the postseason, it goes, your focus goes away from adding depth, and it goes to adding role players. And the Braves being 12 games above their second-place team in their division can add role players confidently, knowing that they don't need as much depth as they would have needed earlier in the season because they can lose a few games due to depth lack of depth and it's not that big of a deal so they added him as a role player against lefties brad hand pitcher batters hitting against brad hand have a 143 batting average a 276 on base percentage and a 204 slugging percentage and he has only allowed one earned run to a lefty all year long it's obviously not a flashy move but as trent said it's a good move it makes sense. You remember back in the day, the term loogie? Left, lefty one-out guy? Yes, that rule is in place now. Do we have to face at least three batters? But if Brian Snicker can see that two out of three batters are going to be left-handed hitters, he can throw Brad Hand out there and expect good results. That is a role player. The Braves picked up a role player for free. He's the type of guy that you do want to have on your postseason roster for special occasions like that. Because you throw players out there, he can face three batters if they're a lefty, righty, lefty. And guaranteed, you're going to have above average results. And that's what you need in the postseason. Great move, makes sense, and essentially it was for free. Alright, that's this week's episode. I know the trade deadline was a bit of a letdown because there was not any flashy moves really for the Braves, but that's okay. The Braves are well on their way to winning their division. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Braves Country Cooking Podcast feed in case people don't know it exists yet. You can find me on Twitter at Sports or at BravesDugoutPod. You can email the show at BravesDugout at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook group. I love talking ball, so I'd be happy to talk to you on those. Or, you know, if you want to message me or whatever, I love talking to you guys. So thanks for doing that so much. As always, go Braves.